לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, Shalom and welcome to a very special edition of Parsha Talk, the Pesach edition of Parsha Talk. We are so excited to be with you to share some thoughts about the upcoming holiday of Pesach. But first, before we begin, let me welcome my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Shek Day School, Long Island, and Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshik Hasid, New York City. Rabbi Kalmanovsky is on his way to Israel. We are recording this before he departs. Have a wonderful, wonderful trip. This is, you want to tell us what you're doing in Israel or just? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, assuming that my COVID test comes back appropriately negative, which I certainly do expect. Uh, I'm going on Sunday with the family. I'm, I'm on sabbatical from the shul, as everyone knows. And gonna, my daughter's in a, in a post-high school year in Tel Aviv. So five of the Kalmanovsky six are going to be together in Netanya. Amazing, for, amazing. That's great. On the beach, baby. We know that that it's a very special time, of course, in Israel holiday time, and and we are certainly thinking, are mindful of our brothers and sisters in Israel, a little wave of terror that they're experiencing. We're recording on the day after a, a shooting, a terrible shooting in Tel Aviv. So we are thinking about all of our friends, our Amah friends in Israel, especially those living in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, those, you know, nearby and everywhere who are experiencing this and, and going through some trepidation even as they approach the holiday but it should be a let it be a peaceful and safe time for you and your family this is the seder i'm going to say this we have an amazing parsha but we have an amazing haggadah we have an amazing we have an amazing ritual and i i think to kind of warm up here and and have some some thoughts about what to talk about with you but let, i just want to do a little warm-up which is give me give me your best shot give me your best your, your you know a thought, a text coming up in your mind as you think about the Seder, you're just flipping through it. You know, if we were to do the random Seder text, I got a text. Talk to me. Give me some Torah. Barry Chesler, think about a text. One of my favorites is Halach Ma'anya. And, you know, we, we spend some time each time we do the show talking before we get on, which is sometimes most fascinating. And one of the things that's striking about Halakh Ma'anya, which is related to our earlier conversation, is that we sit down at the Seder and we think we know the story and we know everything that's going on, and we really don't. And one of the first things that should surprise us is this passage Halakh Ma'anya, because there the matzah is the bread that our ancestors ate as slaves. It has nothing to do with redemption. When we get to my second favorite passage, the, which is from the Mishnah um, of our Ban Gamliel, there the matzah is a symbol of redemption. And our colleague, Josh Kutov, who used to come many years on Pesach, pointed out that there's a kind of uh, transubstantiation from moving the matzah from the bread of affliction to the bread of redemption. And I think, you know, one of the things I like about this is that we we don't really spend enough time thinking about what the Exodus actually is. 
right? We know that we're telling the story of the Exodus, but what is it? Does it begin with us as slaves and we have to remember certain things about that? Is it just the march out of Egypt, leaving the lamb cooked but uneaten according to some of us? Or <laughs> is it something else? And I think, you know, one of the things that we should do every year we sit down at the Seder is be willing to be surprised by the text Absolutely. and by the new things. You know, we're all a year older and we look at the text differently. Rabbi Kamenovsky, you want to, you want to, you want to, you want to sit and I'll do one, or you want to? Uh -huh. I think because mine is in order, or you might, you might be in order too. Who knows? No, you you go next. You I want to go. Okay, so so I think I might be just right after Barry's text, which is the Rabbi Lazar ben Azaria, and and it's really on a similar theme. I I, I enjoy this text so much. I, it, you know, it's it's an exciting text because it's about the the dynamic of of telling. It's it's the um, the master disciple dynamic as opposed to the parent child dynamic, which you know, I, I, and and so I, that's one notch down from this text. It's 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 about rabbis, but um, it's along the theme of discovery, um, and and you know, it's it's I'm reading it now and I'm discovering a, a new fact about it. It says right. I'm I'm not 70 years old. I'm like 70. I'm not. I'm 60 years old, and you know that means that that I've been reading this text for a good chunk of, of decades, and I remember reading this text as a young person, thinking like Rabbi Eliezer Elazar ben Azaria, um, who I guess how old was he? He was 18 or so. 18, according to the tradition. Yeah, so he he had to present himself as an older person, and look at this. You know, you blink your eyes and you grow up through all the different vicissitudes of life. And I can, you know, very, very distinctly, clearly remember, you know, where, where I've been and many satyrs, you know, in Ottawa, Montreal, New York, and, 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 uh, and of course here in New Jersey and a couple in, in Israel. Um, but what is he saying? He's saying, I never thought about the way that you got to tell the story of the Exodus until I heard this 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 uh, explanation from Benzoma, I love that. Until I heard this, I thought I knew this, but I heard something and I discovered a whole new side to it. I, so, just, yeah, go ahead. That, that I just want to add life. something here because you talked about the master disciple relationship. It's so striking that it's Benzoma, yeah, who, as his name indicates, never became a rabbi, and yet he is treated here as the master. Interesting, interesting, fascinating. So, so, so he makes this innovation. He finds an innovation in, in the understanding of the text, and that opens up both the the potential and the validation of seeing new insights into the text. and And I think that this this it touches this place a, a real streaming vein for for all of us. That when it comes to Passover, we're always looking for new ideas and new insights and new explanations. Lately, in the last couple of years, I've been thinking about, you know, what is ancient Egypt and all the, the kind of research and new understanding that we have of, of uh, the way that ancient Egypt influenced the Bible. And not only that, but, but we have the experience of the virus, the pandemic, which, which totally shifted our understanding of, of the holiday. And in truth, you can approach this Seder and the telling of the story with new eyes, with new discoveries every single year. 
That's my favorite talk. Over to you, Jeremy. Awesome. You know, I, I think um, just the dynamic of parent-child question and answering, I think, is whether that's in the Manishtana or the four or the four children who are, you know, three of whom are said to pose questions and one's Mahu. There's some day in the future in which you're going to tell the story to your children. Um, you know, I think that's just such a rich statement about culture and how and how this culture, you know, transmits these most important pieces of knowledge, this things about the past, because to participate in a in a society or participate in a culture, you have to know what its experiences have been. But also, and this is like this is what I think is really important about the Haggadahs we've inherited that we were talking before, before the we started recording about how, you know, the Haggadah is not, it's not it's it's a it's a Mishnaic era text. It's not an obvious narrative. It doesn't go down easy for people who are looking for the narrative of Egypt. The narrative is not as nearly as thrilling in the Haggadah as it is in the Bible itself. But I don't think that the rabbis were really going for that. They were going for creating um, some experience of being redeemed in the past, but not redeemed in the present, and reorienting your way of thinking about that to the need for some future, some future redemption. So the questions that the children are, are said to ask, the questions that the children are supposed to ask in the Manishtana, and then in the four questions, the four children passage, I think that it is about conveying something of the past, but it's also about orienting you to something that you still need to anticipate in the future. Okay, so so I want to I want to talk about this. I, I want this uh, to be the big the big conversation here, which is so what does it mean to to tell the story? You know, and 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 what what triggers this this question for me is you know at this time of the year you know uh, there's a new crop of Haggadot always you know published at this time of year for obvious marketing reasons, and and we all get the the previews of it or emails of it and that they're reviewed in in the Jewish uh, uh, media, the forward and other other places. Um, and it seems that that everybody's got a new take on the Haggadah. And I'm, I'm always stunned by that, uh, you know, not only stunned, but a little envious too, because, you know, after all the years of, of putting material together, yeah, I've got stuff too. Uh, and so one day, you know, we'll, we'll, the three of us, it'll be the Parshatak Haggadah, okay? <laughs> I think that's a great idea, actually. Um, so, so, but how do you tell the story? And, and you know, Jeremy, you just mentioned, you know, the idea that you could probably sit down and and open up the book of Exodus and take pieces of chapters 1 to 15 and tell the story. And why wouldn't, would that be a successful Seder? What, what's, what we run? It's a story. It tells us a story. Um, and, and, you know, could you, could you effectuate, could you, I don't want to say, could you fulfill the obligations of telling the story halakhically? Because, you know, that's a different kind of question. But what does it mean to tell the story? And and what are we after when we tell the story? And, and so, go ahead. You, were, you were saying, um, you know, we talked, again, before we started recording about um, the passage of Robin Gamliel. You know, you're quite correct, obviously. If you ask, have I met the traditional halakhic obligations of the Seder? That's different from... What's the best story that I could tell? What's the most impactful kind of conversations we could have? Most impactful kinds of rituals. Uh, the uh, inherited Jewish Seder is about symbolic food. Rabbi Gamliel says you have to mention three kinds of foods. Uh, it's possible that the text in question is not Rabbi Gamliel II, who lived after the 
destruction of the temple, but Ravan Gamliel I, who lived during the Korban Pesach era, um, you have to not only eat the foods, the Pesach, the Matzah, and the Maror, the, the, the meat of the sacrificial lamb back then, and then the bread and the, and the bitter herbs, um, you have to discuss them. And you have to, you know, eat these foods and, um, and say what they would mean in the course of a story. So I would think that there are elements, you know, even though there are some elements of, of rabbinic midrash or whatever that, that I concede are maybe hard for modern audiences to appreciate unless they're like really familiar with this kind of literature. And, and yes, open up Exodus 1 through 15 and, and you're going to get drama and power of that text in a different way. But I need not only a story from Bible times, I need a set of symbolic actions and connected to the food. And, and uh, those things, I think, make it alive in the present. And again, I think that the, that the sages are also oriented to a kind of contemporary, you know, like we're still in exile in certain different kinds of ways, um, which simply telling the story about what happened in Egypt, which, which, which ends with a great big success of crossing the Red Sea and having liberation. Um, wouldn't entirely capture that. I, I just have a reaction to that, which is, I think I think part of what's driving the Seder and certainly the rabbinic literature, the Mishnah and the Talmud around uh, the discussion of Passover is is the remembrance of the Passover sacrifice. Don't let's let's not forget that that this was a a um, humongous event in in the Temple era, and that it was pilgrimage. Hundreds, thousands of people were coming. They were all, you know, sacrificing their 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 sheep. It was it was quite a spectacle, um, and and people were festive. It was it was a, a wonderful time of the year, as it is for us. Um, and and the temple is destroyed, and and there's nothing. It's 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 like they pull out, you know, their heart. Um, I, we we had a lecture last night uh, with a medieval Jewish historian, Avi Shom, and he talked about. The fact that that it's not well documented, but but it is out there that for for maybe a couple of centuries, he, he mentioned three, four centuries, even five centuries after the destruction of the temple, there were still pockets of Jews in the Mediterranean basin who were in their own way doing a kind of Passover sacrifice, which I you know that that was you know a, a, a new a new uh, thing that I heard, and because that pattern of behavior was so ingrained. And so what you have in the Haggadah is almost a kind of hearkening back to what do you do when you don't have the the ability to congregate and to celebrate as a people. And so, I, I mean, and the, and this is why the, the Seder stands as one of the greatest religious inventions. I'm not going to say of Judaism. I'm going to say of all religions. This is the, the Seder itself is a magnificent religious invention that transforms sacrificial pilgrimage to storytelling and to ritual set order at your table. I mean, it's 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 clear. It's and and um, so you know, and what you're saying is that the symbolic eating is not so much telling the story of the Exodus. It's it's about remembering what it meant to be a people that pilgrim that made pilgrimages. I want to offer a slightly different take. I think what distinguishes Pesach from the other Shalosh Wagalim is the amount of yearning that is part of the holiday and part of the story. And what we often forget is that the Exodus is the great story of exile. 
when you think about it, this people got up, led by God and through the agency of Moshe, and left their home. They were, until, until they get to the promised land, they are in effect in exile. Until they get to where they're going, they are kind of lost, and misguided in the sense that they don't have an adequate guide to lead them because they don't really know where they're going. That's and yeah. yeah, go on. I was going to say that that's, that's, a, that's a powerful idea, you know, in the sense that, that we do not have that association with exile today, living comfortably as we do here in America, nor do we have the direct experience, most of us, of picking up and, and moving. Look, you know, we're, we're, we're in real time now watching four, upwards of four million people have to pick up their lives, you know, because their, their, their homes are being dis destroyed. There's going to be nothing to return to for many of them. And that desolation, that kind of upheaval, I mean, it, 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 uh, it will change the course of history, world history. You know, something will come out of that, that, that will, that will like, like all great migrations have, you know, and, and so the experience of exile from your land puts you in a, it, it puts you in a different frame. So, so we don't have that valence, I think. As right. A, but also when we think of Shavuot and Sukkot, we don't think of that, associate them, I don't think, as holidays with yearning. Yeah. And we're not longing for something. We love the Torah. We're glad that we got the Torah. We want to study Torah. But it's not something that we're yearning for because we can do it. Sukkot. Yeah. yeah, go on. No, go. It's, it's interesting that in um, Exodus, uh, rather Leviticus 22, which is, is the holiday cycle, which we read, I guess, I guess 23. 23. Um, which is the holiday cycle that we read in the synagogue um, at, at this time of year uh, on, on the holiday readings. Uh, and, and I think most of our listeners may know that, uh, that that all of our holidays have an agricultural referent and a historical referent. Um, you know, they're like probably at some early, early, early portion. Pesach was just the early spring holiday and and the barley harvest and Shavuot is the sort of high, high, late, late spring, or early summer, you know, wheat harvest. And then Shav Sukkot is the big end of the year harvest. And if you look in Leviticus 23, the first two are simply described as agricultural holidays and Sukkot is given the historical reference because I made them dwell in Sukkot when I took them out of Egypt. Sukkot is the holiday in that passage of the Torah that is associated with um, redemption from Egypt, which is so counter, you know, the Judaism as inherited, like it's, it's like that you peel off an a layer, it's almost archaeological, you peel off a layer and you say, oh my goodness, for some ancient Jewish text, Passover was just about the barley harvest, but Sukkot, that was about leaving Egypt. Um, and it's so counterintuitive to us because that's not how it ultimately came, you know, into Jewish consciousness. It ultimately came down that that it was, that Passover was what it was all about. And and Sukkot just has the, has the you know, autumnal uh, thing without the, without much of the Passover association. Okay, so 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 having talked about 
the meaning of the story and and how do we tell the story and of course let's go to this 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 theme this is one of the central themes of the Haggadah which is the Cholamar Belis Aper B'tziot Mitzrayim Arezim Eshubach right and and um, I want to offer I want to offer an interpretation it means and and all of and all who exalt in or experience vast you know expansively in the telling of the story, Harez and Meshubach, this is praiseworthy. Um, and, and I offer, you know, something to, to, to think about, which is that that's, that's your license. That's your license for creativity. That's your license for questions. That's your license for skits. That's your license for songs. I, I wrote down, you know, um, that, that we have so many ways of communicating the story. The Haggadot are so beautifully illuminated with such great pictures. There's a visual. The music of, of the Seder, it communicates information. The food of the Seder, we can't you know, think about the Seder without certain tastes. Uh, the, the tactile element of the Seder, which we could explore. Um, and, and, and all of the senses which are aroused in, in so many different ways. And, and what what the Seder invites us to do is to access the story on whatever frequency you are. It's just saying, access the story, tell the story, do the story. So I want to get your reactions to the Cholam Arbelis of telling the story in any way. I mean, what, you know, in any, any, not creative ways, but, but um, what kinds of innovations do you, do you think of or experience or? Well, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a very, you know, creative person in this way, uh, but um, I do think that going along with the marbe, you know, you have to make it big. You make it to make it harbe to tell the story expansively. The Haggadah also tells us, and I think Jewish tradition has a great, um, you know, purchase on this: is you got a lahafnim. You have to internalize it because you know everybody is is obliged to see themselves as not only. You know the the descendants of people who got liberated thousands of years ago, but personally liberated. And I think that that's a um, what would you say? That's like a uh, the task is not to read the book, right? The task is to deepen the book and and see yourself in that. Um, and so you know. so that that being you know the, the the other great theme. What what are the strat? What what do you do to to imagine yourself? Are you going to say you know like if you were there? what would you take out if you were there what would you be experiencing you know imagine you are a slave you know i mean is is it on that level or is it you know what does it mean to be free and what and and do we really understand what freedom means um well freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose <laughs> and i think that was rabbi chris christopherson who said that yes um i, I think that what we're looking, what we're trying to achieve at the Seder is actually to experience redemption. That the story that we're looking I, for... I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Lennon, let me finish. <laughs> but the story that we're telling about the past is not about the past, but at least in the, the phrasing of Rabban Gamliel, is, it's of the present. We want to feel a sense of redemption. It is for a people that it's a story for a people that no longer lives in the land of their own 
and no longer experiences God in the miraculous way their ancestors did. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for God. And I think that what we do is we tell this story because that's all that we know. We don't have the direct experience. We only have the experience of our ancestors. And we hope by telling it in the company of our family and friends that we will find it. I'm not yeah, sure. I'm going to go a little differently. I'm going to go a little differently. Go ahead. I'll just rebut after that. Okay, go ahead. So I actually think, and there's a risk in what I'm saying, so I'm not, not unmindful of what the cost would be, but um, I, I'm, I'm going to go the other way and say um, that if you're going to internalize it and have some sense of liberation, then you have to look at, at your own... Gnut, and so you can say in Besheva. This is what the, the Mishnah says about the, the general vector of the Haggadah is that the story starts off in disgrace and ends up in 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 praise and exaltation. Like the great so, rapper Drake says, "I started from the bottom." What is it? <laughs> started from the bottom, ended up here. Got it. You just like you just like him because he's Canadian. He's Canadian, um, but. The you know you start you start off and you say listen avadim hayinu and God t- we were slaves and God took us out you start off and say our ancestors were idol worshippers and then we then we developed you know then God brought us near and gave us the Torah and so you tell the bad things and so you try to orient towards the good things and I think that what's called upon us is is it- this as much as possible and think about the suffering in our own lives the own things that enslave us and think about the uh, the ways in which we are liberated. Now, there's a cost because, frankly, um, that runs the risk of de-Judaizing. It just makes it another human story, and I think that would be a real mistake. And it also, it can easily get trite because, you know, then you get the the every kind of Haggadah, you know, the the whatever Haggadah and the, you know, not, not these are not serious things. I would change Haggadah. The what? The climate change Haggadah. The climate change Haggadah and the union, you know, the 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 labor law Haggadah and all these things are real, but they're not centuries old and deep with the same level. But that's it. Despite the fact that I think that there are costs, I think that conveying to contemporary Jews a sense both of Gnut and Shevach and of and of degradation and exaltation, I, I'd rather like I focus on that. What is what is what is constraint and what is freedom? All right. So I want to get back to Barry and, I, and offer a rebuttal. And and here I think this would be a very fertile debate, even for our listener Seder, which is Barry. You made the claim that people want to experience some kind of godly presence in in and in, in in the internalizing of the story of redemption. That is redemption starting at the bottom, going here. I don't. I don't agree with that. I think people want people want to come close to is fellowship, community, family. They, they, they. I think for our generation and for our sector of the community, once you, once you, once you bring God into the whole story, that's when people go like, you know, okay, it's like you know, time for the soup. I. It's not that. I mean, I, I feel bad for God, but. But what, God feels bad for you. I know, right? But it's like I think what God enjoys, speaking for God here, is He enjoys everybody getting together, and and that people, people, what what drives the seder lo these thousands of years is that you're getting together with your family and your closest people. If you don't have a family, 
your community and you are experiencing something that is on so many different frequencies at the same time. It's like, you know, the satellite, you know, the Sirius XM radio broadcasting on 500 channels at the same time. And your receiver is picking up one of these channels or two and it's getting like, ah, this is the message I'm getting. And, and I'm doing that with all these people around me and, and I am living out my solidarity with my family, with my community, with my people. And I get just a little glimpse of that. And I think that that's what's going on. I, I mean, okay. with all due respect so, to God, with all due respect, you know. All right. I think, as is often the case, Elliot, there's a great deal of truth and wisdom in what you say. But we are, are the three of us are heirs to the rabbinic tradition. And we know from the Mishnah that fellowship is enhanced when God is present. That's why when three people sit at the table, the meal is enhanced when we bench, when we say the Birkat Amazon and we invoke God's name. So I think a lot of people experience Pesach the way that you do because they don't have an avenue to God. It's not that they would deny it if they could, but that they don't have it. So they find something else, which is also very important. Yeah. What I'm trying to suggest, and I see why your facial expressions not very. I'm not expressing it very well. No, I disagree with you, but that's okay. It, I mean, is that there is a dimension of the holy that pertains to the seder, and that's what people are looking for. And okay. I think you know, parenthetically, let me just add. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think we often miss about the high holidays is not that people only come once a year, but they come on those days at all. Yeah. Because and they're coming because. They're looking for something that they often can't articulate. Except and when well, they get there, it's not what they're looking for and they don't come back, but they know enough or they are bereft enough to know that something is missing, that the synagogue might be the answer for it. And I think the same with Pesach is that people are looking for a story that they can connect to. And they know that this is a story that people have connected to, even if it doesn't work this year for them, wherever they may go. So I go ahead. I just also in this in the similar in the similar vein. Of course, it is obviously correct what you're saying. The the you know dimension of com communality, communion, fellowship, and what what you said earlier in the conversation about you know the national sense of fellowship that existed until the the destruction of the temple, and then and then was absent from people's lives. That is absolutely true, no question about it. But I, I don't. I don't really think. Like, if we if we scratch the, the surface a little bit, um, it is purposeful fellowship. It's covenantal fellowship. It is dam pesach and dam brit, the blood that binds the people together at Passover. You know, said to be said to be uh, in in the Exodus story, said to be smeared on the homes. And as as you've said, Elliot, you know, so beautifully in previous conversations. It turns the entire home into the altar. Yeah. It turns the entire Jewish life and family home into the sacred place. And it binds people, the, the physical blood of circumcision for, for the male Jews, the familial blood um, smeared on the wall of the Korban Pesach, the binding together of the people in those covenantal bonds. Th those things cannot be separated, not only from the human connection, but the, the purposive um, uh, 
you know, we got a point here, and the point is a, a sanctity that is not exhausted. It involves human connection for sure. The preciousness of it has a great, you know, th that human connection, the familial connection has a great deal to do with it. But I also think that the way we tell the story is, you know, kirvanu hamakom avodato. It it is oriented towards a purpose of um, sanctification. Well, so my reaction to this, is, of course, I, of course, I agree with you. You know, but but I, I, as you're talking, Barry and Jeremy, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking like, when when I stand up at the beginning of the seder and and recite, you know, the the sign Kadesh Rakatz, and then I I I stand up for Kiddush, I I have to say, I'm thinking about my grandparents, my parent, my my my, you know, people in my family. That are that are not with me, people in my community that I love, that are at the upstairs seder. Okay, they're 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 having their seder with all of the departed members of their families, you know, in in this imaginative moment. And and I'm thinking not so much about sanctifying God. I'm thinking about being connected to the people. And of course, the the instrumentality of that is. You know, you've chosen us, and the instrumentality of that association is all through the sanctification. But let's, not, you know, for me, it's I'm I'm connected to to those present, those not present, and and you know, now in 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 my uh, years of of seniority, I'm connected to beyond my generation, and and that's. That, you know, we, I, I want to close with, we, we, got, we can go on for a long, but I want to say, you know, you are the most important symbol at the Seder. You, you know, we have the, we make such a great, you know, uh, uh, pastiche of, of the Seder plate, a performance, and all these symbols, but you are the most important symbol because you are the symbol of continuity um, for, for, for generations. And I can't, I can't get past it. And it's like, God, you know, God and God. I leave God alone. God is with me. God is, you know, we 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 we're, we're joyful. Shechianu, Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you for the redemption. And that's a big thing. We're, you know, it's a big thing. Okay, but I'm with everybody. <laughs> so I, what I would add, and you express yourself very eloquently, Elliot, is that when you were talking, I was reminded of Martin Buber, who I read much of when I was younger. And I continue to read as I'm older because there's something about his presentation that I find stirring. And what I would say to what you said is that it's not a separation between the family and God, but the way to God is through the family and through that those images of your of your people. That, in other words, we're not going to separate out and make a separate search for God. We're going to use the people that are with us and the people that we remember as a path to God. Yeah. But I think like for, for, for a great number of the people that we are talking to and their, in their families, like it's, that's not the issue. God is not the issue, but, but, you know, that's why we're here. We're here to kind but of, this is, this is, I mean, I, I think, I think instantiating, you know, what you said is that this remains, um, you know, Barry pointed out the high holidays and, 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 you know, I usually think that the high holidays, Holidays, Rosh Yom Kippur, high holidays of the synagogue, and Pesach is the high holiday of the home. And these are the two things that are most, um, you know, by far, far, far and away, fu fully observed. 
in American Jewish life. Sure. And still today, with all the falling away, um, you know, people who are connected to Judaism, even in whatever way that they are, um, they will be celebrating uh, Pesach with friends and family. And for that, we should definitely be, be super thankful. grateful. Absolutely. Well, you know what? We just touched the surface. I wish we could, we could, we could literally, the three of us, go on until, you know, Kriyat Shema, you know, <laughs> like they did in B'nai Brak, and say, you know, Giazman, we, you know, it's time to recite the morning Shema, but, but this, you know, I, I hope that we've um, just uh, given a little bit of taste of the Passover discussions to our viewers and listeners. We thank you so much for spending the time with us. We we're so honored by you being here with us. And thank you for your comments and thank you for all your interest. And I've, I've met many people over, over the last little while just uh, who, who said how much this, uh, this, this uh, show really means to them. I know that that applies to Jeremy and to Barry as well. And just uh, for all of us, let's just say, Chatzameach, Chatzameach, beautiful, meaningful face up. And we'll see you on the next edition of Parsha Talk.